dismissed. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them, uh, open them up. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a story that uh, many of us know, we, we, we've heard it since we were, since we were little, right? Um, but hopefully this morning, um, uh, as we spend this time together, what I, what I, my goal is for you to kind of see this, this Christmas, and as we ask uh, this, this question, what child is this? As you, as you guys are turning your Bibles, let me read something to you. In 1865, an Englishman named William Chatterton Dix penned the words to a poem entitled Manger Throne. A few years later, the first three stanzas of that poem were set to the music of an English traditional folk song called Green Sleeves. That soon became known as the beloved Christmas carol, What Child Is This? The combination of poetry and music first was published in the UK in 1871 as a new song when it debuted in a prestigious compilation of Christmas music. For close to a century and a half, the question found in the title of this carol has become the annual reminder that something significant happened on that night in Bethlehem as someone significant lay wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. This child would change the world forever. But what child is this? The title of the carol, What Child Is This?, is intended to be the primary question the shepherds must have asked on the night they visited baby Jesus. After their angelic encounter and receiving the startling news, while they were tending their sheep on the outskirts of Bethlehem, their heads must have been spinning rapidly They tried as they tried to comprehend all they had experienced on that first Christmas night. As you guys are in the story, in Luke chapter 2, like I said, you guys are familiar with the story, but let me pray for us and we're going to dive into it. Father, I come before you now and we just ask, God, that you would just uh, speak to us now through your word, God, that you might open our minds, open our hearts, God, just to hear from you, maybe in a fresh new way, as we get to focus on you, God, this Christmas season, because you are the reason we celebrate. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The first thing uh, this morning that uh, I want you guys to see is like a nativity scene. How many of you guys have a nativity scene at your house? Anybody? Most of us probably do, right? It's just, you, you know, you bust it out during Christmas time. What is always one of the main staples of nativity scene? So you're like, yeah, I've got a nativity scene. We, we can't go to Christmas without it. But always one of the main things is the shepherds. The shepherds are always in a nativity scene. And most of the time they get overlooked, and rightfully so. But this morning, I, my goal is that you would see maybe from the shepherd's point of view, from their eyes, as they, as they got to come before the king of kings that was born to them, for them, 
on this night and kind of see this morning what, the, what a shepherd really looks like. So as, as the shepherds come before Jesus, they've got to be asking this question, what child is this? What child is this that an angel would show up and tell us about him? What child is this that the angel says, go and, and, and worship him there, go and see this Savior this Lord, this Messiah that's born to you today. And, and so as the shepherds, you know, and I love the fact that God showed up to the shepherds first. Um, because as we see in John chapter 10, verse 11, we actually see that Jesus is, he describes himself as a good shepherd. Jesus says in, in that verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what, a, what, what makes a shepherd good? I think it's that very fact, that very fact that a shepherd would be willing to lay down their life for the sheep. You know, if a shepherd's not willing to do that, then I might question whether that shepherd's good. So for Jesus to come and say, I am the good shepherd, it's almost like he's saying, you know what? I'm a shepherd. I'm not, you know, he came as the king of kings, but on one hand, he's relating to the shepherds here. It's like, I'm a shepherd. I came to serve and to protect. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This summary statement of, uh, of what this child in the major came to be for all people, he is, is summarized that he is the one who came to lay down his life for all of humanity just as a good shepherd does. So he lays down his life for the sheep. While at times the shepherds in the Christmas story, they're kind of the, you know, they're a little rough around the edges, kind of the rough characters. They're low, you know, they're kind of deemed as the lowest on society's ladder. Jesus, he describes himself as a shepherd, but he also describes himself as having a great responsibility. That protecting the life of others was the responsibility and calling of a shepherd. Now, if we're going to actually see the image or, you know, get a, a glimpse into what a shepherd actually looks like, then we need to look at what the Bible actually talks about when it talks about shepherds. Over 100 times, shepherds is mentioned in the Bible. And so as we look at the image of what a shepherd is, you know, back in the in biblical history and ancient Near Eastern culture, shepherd was actually equated with righteous government. You know, if, they, if you were going into court or going into a ruling, they would actually bring in the shepherds because they knew the shepherds were going to tell it like it was and they were going to be just. But they also know that shepherds are going to be kind to all. You know, I think it's one of the things that shepherds have to do. You know, as they're tending their sheep, they just have a natural, you know, their heart just kind of inclines to being uh, graceful in a situation. You know, showing kindness in a situation. They were, um, while they were responsible, they were also, it also intended um, to signify rulership as good. Um, and just and wise and was beneficial for all people. Sometimes it was even equated to kings or deity as far as being a shepherd. Even the shepherd's crook has been viewed as a symbol of power and authority and strength. So throughout the Bible, shepherds are mentioned so many times. So if we can understand this, maybe we can gain a better and more complete understanding of this question. What child is this? One of the first careers of a shepherd was actually mentioned in Genesis um, chapter 4. We see, um, you know, it, tell, it tells us that Abel was a keeper of sheep. Now, you know, Abel was one of the first offspring of Adam and Eve. And um, we're not going to talk about his brother. Um, there's not a time and place for that. But Abel, he was a keeper of sheep. He tended the flock. Yeah, That's kind of what he did. And so as, um, you know, in biblical days, those who had flocks and sheep... 
um, you know, such as, you know, or goats or ox or horses or donkeys, camels, whatever it was. They were normally viewed as being wealthy. They were powerful. Um, you know, the Bible even equates it to actually being blessed by God. You know, we see that in, uh, in Genesis chapter 24. We're talking about Abraham that says, The Lord has greatly blessed my master and has, he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and camels and donkeys. Um, we see it again in, in the book of Job. You know, it talks about how much wealth Job had, but it doesn't talk about the money. It talks about what? The, the flocks that he has. It says that Job, even though he, he experienced you know, great trials, it says, and the Lord blessed him the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. That's in Job 42. And so we see that it's also equated to that. Um, the owner of the flocks often was the one who was also the, the shepherd of the flocks, as we see, you know, in Abel, as such as in Abel in Genesis 4, but also in Jacob, Genesis 30. Other time, the shepherd was actually delegated to the work of a son or a daughter. You know, if you'll remember the first time that um, Jacob um, finds Rachel, you remember what Rachel's doing. Rachel is actually tending her father's flock. She's helping the flock come and find water. And if you remember Jacob, you know, uh, the servant goes and, you know, the servant goes and says, hey, you know, my master is, is needing a wife. And then he prays to God saying, God, whoever would offer me water, you know, that that's going to be who I want um, to be or that's who you're going to set before as my master's wife. And so just as it happens, Rachel comes down, offers the servant water. And then, the, and then the servant says, well, would you come be my master's wife? And at that moment, Jacob and Rachel um, come together. But, and then, you know, she turns out being the love of his life. And who wouldn't want that, right? A woman that's, you know, you know leading the sheep, you know, that's taking care, that is taking care of the sheep. But isn't that such a wonderful picture of a woman sometimes? They take care of the flock. Right? The, the, you know, ladies, uh, they just have like a natural ability to care for, to love on, even in times where it's like, you know, they might seem unlovable, like a mother just naturally loves just like that. So I love that picture of even Rachel tending her father's sheep there. Um, likewise, we get to see probably the most popular shepherd of all um, is probably who? Other than Jesus, it's probably David, right? You think back in the times of David, where was David at whenever Samuel came to anoint the next king who was to be after Saul? Well, David was out in the field. Remember, Jesse had brought all of his other sons before the, the prophet Samuel, and he says, you know what, it's got to be one of these sons. And so they go for six, six brothers of, of David. Not one of them is like, is this it? And like, actually, there's still one. I, I kind of forgot about him, but he's out watching the sheep right now. So it was like that was David's job was to watch the sheep. His responsibility was to care for the sheep. And I love it because David was just doing what he knew to do. Um, he was just taking care of the sheep. That was his job. But that day they went and got him. If you'll remember, Samuel anointed him as king. The child that would be born in the manger in Bethlehem would be near the same pastures that David was shepherding his flock in. If you remember, you know, Bethlehem is called the city of David. So that same night that as the shepherds were tending their flock and we see that Jesus was born, it's like David, even before Jesus was, you know, the lineage of Jesus was actually doing the same thing in the same place before him. So we see Jesus as being a descendant of the king who is also a good shepherd. So what child is this? He is a shepherd and a king just as his ancestor David was. Now the principal duty of the shepherd was this. 
It was simply to make sure that the animals under his or her care had enough food and enough water. Um, that was something that was kind of scarce back in that time. So if you were taking care of a flock, what, or you know, sometimes it's scarce around here too, right? We can't imagine this idea. I think sometimes you know we we were so far removed from what what you know how things were back in this day. It's hard for us to imagine like. Well, yeah, you're taking care of a, of a flock, you need food and water, but that might be harder than you might think. And so the shepherd sometimes had to go to such great lengths to find the food, to find the water, but it was something that I love. David, in his most famous poem, if you remember Psalm 23, he begins with those, he echoes that truth of what this child is. Look at what he says in Psalm 23. What child is this? This is what, how David describes it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This idea God is providing food and God is providing water. We see the shepherd naturally provides. Just as a shepherd is responsible for the food and the water though, we also know that a shepherd is also responsible for protecting the flock. It's one of the main priorities as well is that you don't want to lose any of these sheep in your flock. And back, you know, there was many, you know, animals back in this time that could come and prey on these sheep. So a shepherd had to be on guard and watch out for dangerous animals that were coming to take sheep from his fold. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know, as, as David comes before Saul, right before he's about to go fight the Philistine, the Goliath, right? He comes before Saul and, you know, they're talking about Saul's armor and everything. And I love it. it says, but David said to Saul, Remember, Saul says, you're just a boy, David. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's 1 Samuel 17. David, and I love that, David continues. What does that protection look like? David says in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And don't we as Christians, don't we as, as sheep of Christ, don't we sometimes see that in Jesus? How He comes along, He doesn't always take us out of the situation, but doesn't He protect us? Doesn't his rod and staff, don't those things comfort us sometimes? I know, you know, we, you think about the rod and the staff. And there was, a, you know, there's a reason the shepherd had that. Sometimes the shepherd had that maybe to nudge. Sometimes the shepherd might have had that to kind of give a, you know, a gentle tap to the sheep. Sometimes it was to wring the sheep's neck. But I love that David says that the, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because the shepherd is doing that to protect the sheep. And I love that because sometimes, isn't that how it is with us? Sometimes we're walking along and maybe we get that gentle nudge. Hey, probably don't need to be going here. You probably don't need to be doing this. Sometimes we get the ring around the neck, right? Get away from here. This is dangerous. I don't want you going that direction. So we see David as he talks about being a shepherd and he equates it to the Father as he, as he equates it to the Lord. He says, you know what? I don't have anything to fear. Even though I'm in the darkest, deepest spot, I can imagine God is there. Not only is He there, He's leading me and guiding me with His rod and with His staff. He says, you are with me. David describes the attributes of the Lord who not only provides for His nourishment, gives us everything, just like He gives us everything we need, but He also protects Him wherever He might find Himself. 
these characteristics of the good shepherd help answer the question that shepherds pose at the nativity? What child is this? He is the one who will provide for and protect all who are under his care. So as we continue to look at this question, what child is this? This is a good shepherd. He would not only protect his sheep from wild animals, but he would also protect them from thieves. If you remember, whenever Jesus he talks about in John chapter 10, um, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but, by, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep. By name he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? How do the sheep follow him? Because they hear and know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand, talking about the disciples, when they were saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, that's the verse we know, right? Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it abundantly. But did you know that only happens whenever we follow his voice whenever we go in through him to the pasture that he has set before us that's whenever you have life abundantly whenever you you know are led astray by other things in this world guess what that's part of the enemy's distraction before you and those distractions will do nothing but steal kill and destroy that's what the enemy's goal is and so as christians as sheep per se as we look at our shepherd, we got to say, you know what, Jesus, there's got to be more than life. So as we look at this, what child is this? This child is the one who came to give you and I abundant life. By the life he lived, by the death he died, he came to give you and me abundant life that we cannot have anywhere else, that can be found in no one else. It can't be found in success. You know, sometimes we're like, if I could just get to this spot, if I could just get to this position, if I, or it can't, be, it can't even be found in relationships. If I could just marry that person, if I could just have a significant other to spend the rest of my life with. No, 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 you're not going to find abundant life in those things. You will only find abundant life in the good shepherd. What child is this? He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd went to great lengths to care for those under his care. He would make sure that they were kept intact and he would also go the extra mile to make sure that none of them were lost. And if they were, he would take care of that. I love the, the parable in Matthew chapter 18. It's also in Luke chapter 15. The parable of the lost sheep. Um, this is something we don't understand. So let's, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 who never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I love this parable, but I don't think we understand it because that's not what our culture says. Whenever Jesus was giving this parable, everyone in them was like, yeah, 
You know, what do you do? If you lose a sheep, you go look for it. You go and you look for it. Where our culture, we go, wait a second, we have 99 other sheep. Why would we go and look for the one? But you see, here's what I don't want you to miss. That one sheep is so valuable to the shepherd. It's so valuable to the shepherd. And let me, let me say it this way. What if, what if you are that one sheep? Don't you want the shepherd to come look for you? Of course you do. But here's the way, so here's a better way. Since we don't understand the sheep analogy, let's put it this way. Let's say, um, let's say you go camping. Okay, and you, it's you, and maybe, let's say you've got maybe two or three kids. You go camping, and, you know, it's just a fun time. You're having a great time, and you're going out in the wilderness, and you're exploring and searching. And then all of a sudden, you start looking around, and uh, one kid is gone, okay? At that very moment, um, what are you thinking? You start kind of, you know, hey, where you, where'd you go? Where are you at? And then you start kind of slowly running. And then before you know it, you're sprinting around, yelling as fast as you or as loud as you can, running as fast as you can, trying to find your lost kid. Are you not? You might have been running so fast and screaming so loud, you don't know where your other two are. But here's the thing. You don't care about the other two right now. You kind of know kind of where they are, right? You're, you're right, moms. So you're lost a kid in the grocery store. You don't have to admit it. You don't. But you kind of start, your heart gets up, and you're like, oh my goodness, all of a sudden the two kids you have beside your shopping cart are not important anymore. It's the kid that's lost, is it not? And I love this analogy because it's like back then, it's like, that is it. The sheep is so, if something is of great value and you lose it, you will go to great depths to find it, right? We see the same parable whenever Jesus talks about the woman who loses one of her coins it's like she sweeps her whole house. So she has nine others. She has ten all together, and she has nine still there. But that one coin, it's like, you know, I kind of look at it like this. Like a woman, you know, your purse isn't that important, right? Until what? You lose it. Like right now, you're like, you got your purse. Who really cares? But if you lose it, or better yet, what about your, what about your wedding ring, right? What if, what if, what if you, ladies, you lose your wedding ring, and then you're like, oh, man. And you call your husband, and you're like, Dear, I'm sorry, I, I lost my wedding ring, but I still have my cell phone, right? It's like, no, 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 it's no longer like, hey, that's, you see what I'm saying? If you lose something, it automatically, if you lose something of great value, it becomes so important. And so for Jesus to give this parable of, hey, I am going after the one who's lost, isn't that such a great feeling to know this morning? Because here's the thing, you and I, we are sheep and we've all gone astray. At some point or another, we've all gone astray. But isn't it so beautiful that your good shepherd and my good shepherd does not just let you go astray, but he pursues the one who's lost. And this morning, maybe you can say amen to that. And maybe you're part of the 99 that's not astray right now. But maybe this morning you're on the other side of that and you're just searching, you're seeking. This Christmas season is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but let's be honest, it's not so wonderful. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, your shepherd is seeking after you, and he will not stop until he finds you. He will not stop pursuing you this morning. So as we look at that, because you see that at the end of Matthew chapter 18. So it is not the will of the Father that any one of these little ones should perish. He does not want that. So what child is this? What child is this that was born that night? He is the one who left all the riches all of the glory, all of the comfort of heaven and came to look for the one who went astray. 
we've all, like I said, every one of us, we've all turned. We've all gone our own way. We've all went astray. So the mission of the shepherd is to look for and to rescue the ones who are lost. This is what a good shepherd naturally does. And this child who is laying in the manger would grow to become just that. He is the one who came to seek and to save those who are lost, alone, exposed. Isaiah the prophet, I love what he, how he tells in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He gives us this vivid imagery of a good shepherd. He says this, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. I mean, it's just such a beautiful picture of what Jesus does. He comes and he grabs us up in his arms and he begins to carry us to places that we maybe couldn't go on our own, right? Whenever you're following Jesus, it's like you never dreamed of going to those places. You never dreamed you would be there, but that's what this good shepherd does. He takes his sheep to wherever he needs to go. He leads them wherever they need to go. And uh, he uses that word in Isaiah. He says gently lead. You know, that, that's something about Jesus. Like, Jesus is, um, he, he does, he gently leads us. He gently, it's, it's this idea of we know where we need to be sometimes. And, and so many, we know that's where God wants us. And God could come and just be like, why aren't you doing that? But God doesn't do that. He gently leads us in the direction that he's calling us to go. The question is, is the sheeps, are we hearing his voice? Are we listening and obeying what he says? Do you remember Peter um, at the end um, of Jesus' ministry on earth? Um, Peter is, you know, he's kind of at a downtime in life. He's kind of having a rough time. And, and, I mean, who could blame him, right? Like, if you think about the, con- you know, the decisions that he's made and the consequences, remember Jesus comes and he says, listen, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And so the night's going on, and Peter's following Jesus, you know, through the courtyards as, as you know, Jesus is going in before, um, you know, for the, the, the priests and everything. And, and so they, they ask Peter, do you know him? Are you with him? And three times, Peter denies his Lord and Savior. Three, not just once, three times he denies him. And then Jesus, whom the disciples had surrendered their whole life to, They left their jobs, left whatever families they had, and began to follow after this man, this shepherd, dies on a cross before them, some of them before their very eyes. He dies on a cross. And you've got to think at this point, this has got to be one of the lowest points of their life. Especially for Peter, who had just denied knowing Jesus, and now Jesus has died right before him. But Jesus, who, who's, so now Jesus, he knew he had a mission. He knew God had a purpose for him that was to be the good shepherd. And what makes a shepherd good? Someone who what? Lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus knew he was a good shepherd. He knew his life was going to be called, and and, and on that day he gave it up. He laid down his life for his sheep, for Peter, who had just denied him three times, for me and you, who choose to go our own way, who choose to do whatever we want to do, who make our plans and our dreams and our desires, and we chase after them. Yes, Jesus died for you and for me, just like he died for Peter, who denied him three times. 
So he had been crucified, but I love it. You know, once his mission was completed, once he had died on that cross for you and for me, do you remember what Jesus does? Do you remember what Jesus does? Once he's resurrected, he comes back, doesn't he? And he, and he says to Peter, hey, um, meet me on the shore of Galilee. And I can only think that, you know, whenever, whenever Jesus is there on the shore of Galilee, that there's not some flashbacks going on in Peter's mind of the very first time that God called him, that Jesus called him to follow. That's where it took place. Peter was just fishing on the shore of Galilee. And remember, Jesus looks over to Peter who's cleaning the nets and he says, Hey, can I, can I get into your boat? Can I use your boat? And Peter says, sure, I'm cleaning the nets. Go ahead. And so he hops in Peter's boat and pushes it out just a little bit from shore because the crowds were starting to get so big and so large. And so Jesus is teaching from Peter's boat. Peter's just cleaning the nets. And then as Peter, I'm sure he's hearing Jesus. He's hearing him teach. He's like, this is different. This isn't anything I've really heard the Pharisees, the religious leaders speak about at this time. This guy's speaking in a little different tone here, a little different authority. And then I, after Jesus is done teaching, he looks over at Peter and he goes, Hey, why don't you guys go out? One last, you know, one last hurrah. Go out and try and catch some fish. And Peter's thinking, I've been fishing all night. I just cleaned my nets up. And now you want me to go get them dirty again. Hey, why? Yeah, yeah, I want you to do that. Go. And so if you remember, you know, you guys know the story. Peter goes out. Peter and his brother Andrew, and they throw out their net. There's such a large number of fish in the net, they can't even bring it in. They call James and John over. Guys, we need your help. Come and help us. And as soon as that happens, Peter looks, turns to Jesus, truly, you are my Lord. He says, go away from me. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And so now, what happens? Jesus is on the shore. Hey, cast your net. Cast your net down. What happens? The, the, this is resurrected, Jesus says this. And it, they begin to pull up their net and it begins to break at the seams. And at once, Peter looks and he knows that's Jesus on the shore. So instead of like helping all of his buddies out like what a good friend should do, Peter just takes off his clothes and jumps in and starts swimming to the shore to Jesus. But that's not, that's not where I want to stop this morning. I want you to see the dialogue between Jesus and Peter, what's about to happen. The whole conversation revolves around the ongoing role and responsibility of being and training others to be shepherds of the ones that Jesus came to rescue. Look at what John 21, John 21, verse 15, look at what this says. When they had finished breakfast, so now the, they've brought in the huge catch of fish, they've cooked it up, they've ate together. You know, they're just kind of loving, back to loving life a little bit. I love this. Jesus kind of takes Peter aside and he says this to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Not more than the other disciples. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. You, you catch that? Jesus is telling Peter to be a shepherd. Go and be a shepherd. Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus told him, tend my sheep. Once again, be a shepherd. Be a good shepherd. He said to him a third time, which had to have stung, right? Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I love this. Each time Peter says yes, 
Jesus says, then here's what that love needs to look like. You need to be doing this. You need to be shepherding. You need to be a good shepherd. The third time, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said, Jesus, he told Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said this, feed my sheep. I don't think it was by mistake that Jesus kind of told him three different times, you need to be a shepherd. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Because that's who Jesus was to us. And he calls us to go and to help shepherd the flock. He calls us to go and to help. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for the flock. The shepherd lays down his life for the flock. A shepherd loves the flock. And so I don't think it's by mistake. Jesus is saying, you know what? Go and love. Go and feed my sheep. Go and tend my sheep. Go and take care of my sheep. So what child is this? He is the one who came to lay down his life. He is the one who came to, to provide for and protect his flock. He is the one blessed beyond measure with ones he would call his own and would come to know his voice. He is the one who is the good shepherd. His name is this. His name is Jesus. The baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger just as the angels told the shepherds he would be. Isn't that awesome? How, how, how Jesus came into this world as the king of kings, yet he equates himself as a shepherd. It just, it just kind of blows my mind. Because one of the things that I love is the shepherds, you know, as we look at the shepherd's point of view this morning, what, is, what child is this? This is the good shepherd. But they, they relate to that. And so this morning, like, what child is this? Maybe for you, I, I don't know what that is, but here's what I want to say. Whenever God was speaking in the Old Testament, He says, I am who I am. That's what He tells Moses. I am who I am. You know what He's telling Moses? I am whoever you need me to be. I'm your voice. I am your light. I'm the one who's going to give you wisdom. I'm the one who's going to go before you. I'm the one who's going to take care of you. And you know what, you know what the shepherds are starting to see this, this beautiful Christmas, you know, first Christmas morning? This baby, this Messiah, is going to be everything that we need to him to be. And so as they experience this, this first morning, I love the way it went out because this is where this is where it leaves us. This is where it hits home for us, maybe. They tell them, they tell the uh, Shepherds, now go and tell everyone what has been heard and seen and experienced concerning who this child is. That, that's our job. You're, our job is go and make that known. Go and make known who this child is. This Christmas, as you're, you know, as you're, you know, just having Christmas party after Christmas party and open up presents and, and just having a, a jolly good time. Go and make known your Savior, the Messiah of the world who was born to us over 2,000 years ago, who came to be not only the King of Kings, but came to be the Good Shepherd. What child is this that was born in Bethlehem that first Christmas morning? He is a shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. Lord, we thank you so much that you, you chose to come and to lay down your life for us. God, we are not worthy, but you see us as something, as people who are valuable. 
We thank you for that this morning, God. I want to pray that if there's anyone in here this morning, God, that's just running, that's just searching, that's just seeking, God, I pray that you would show them that you are pursuing them with a relentless pursuit, that you are a good shepherd who knows them, you love them, and you care for them, and you want them to experience life and life to the fullest. Lord, I want to also pray over this morning, God, as we go through this Christmas season, I pray that we would not just view it as a, uh, another, another Christmas, but God, we would see it as a time that we get to go and make you known, that we get to go, and maybe for some of us, that's being a good shepherd to our family. Maybe for some of us, God, it's being a shepherd to our coworkers, whatever that looks like in our life. God, would you show us that? Would you give us wisdom to know, Father, what to do with this, and then to go, the boldness to go and to do it? God, we thank you so much for being our shepherd, for being our good shepherd. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.